Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. The film board gathers. The gang of thugs is here to take on a movie currently in theaters. And this month, we have Michael Mann's return to the big screen with Ferrari. Two objects cannot occupy the same point in space. The same moment in time. The corner races at you. You have perhaps a crisis of identity. Am I a sportsman? 
your competitor. If you get into one of my cars, you get in the wind. Slow. And so? You're going broke. How? You spend more than you made. So what do I do? Win the Mille Miglia, Enzo. Or you are out of business. This is a gun pointed at our head. You should assign me control of your stock. I have to have all the cards in my hand. Well, half the cards are in my hand. All of us are racers. It's your deadly passion. Our terrible joy. No one did when you back. How can I stay away? If Anthony is looking for a scapegoat, then here I am. You were supposed to save him. You promised me he wouldn't die. The father deluded himself. Two objects cannot occupy the same point in space at the same moment in time. Ladies and gentlemen, gearheads and speed fiends, welcome to the adrenaline-infused world of racing, where legends are born on the asphalt and tales of speed and heartbreak unfold at the turn of every corner. I'm Pete Wright, revving up the excitement for an exclusive deep dive into the high-octane drama Ferrari, directed by the legendary Michael Mann and lensed by our new friend Eric Messerschmidt. Buckle up as we welcome the twin titans of motorsport commentary, the dynamic duo known for their razor-sharp insights and the ability to make you feel every gear shift as if you're in the driver's seat. They're in our Scuderia today, Tommy Metz III and Justin J.J. Yeager. Boys, let's shift into high gear and dissect the life, the legend, the man, Enzo Ferrari. Okay, we saw it. When did we see it? Did you just see it like I did just today? Did you see it this morning? Are you that excited? Did I you see it like last it. week? Thursday night. Thursday. Thursday night. Two nights Tom, ago. When, I saw it Wednesday. Check oh, me out. you guys are so ahead of me. Vroom. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, vroom, it vroom. opened. We are, <laughs> we are really cheating the system here because this is our January movie, our New Year movie. But, of course, this opened in 2023. It opened Christmas Day. And we didn't go see it on Christmas Day because... I don't know why. There were other movies. We had to see Wonka, whatever. The point is, we now have seen Ferrari. It is Michael Mann's glorious return to the big screen. We were excited to see it. I think I can say collectively speaking, we were excited to see it because of our new friend, uh, Eric Messerschmidt, who we talked about, uh, talked with a couple months ago. And, and, and so I'm, I'm really excited to hear your thoughts on this movie. Uh, It has met middling to mixed reviews from my broader social group how did you feel about it oh you're nodding already okay who wants to go first i'd like to go first can i go first yeah i really really liked it and to the point and and to the point that i actually kind of want to start a big 
debate with you guys about it, about how much I liked it. Not what if we agree though? Let me get into that because you may agree, but I liked it more than Oppenheimer. But you were famously not terribly on Oppenheimer's. Yeah. That's my point. Team. And honestly, like Nolan is one of my, is, is probably my favorite director working right. today. I like Michael Mann. I have great history with him, but I really liked this for what it is as a biopic talking about then making it a film that works. I think it's a very, very strong movie from top to bottom in terms of execution. I think we will find, as we talk about it, we will find interesting little quibbles and things to talk about. But for me, this is a very solid film that I very much enjoyed everything there. It took me on the ride, not a nice. pun intended there, nice. but um, it took me with it. And I was, I was very, very happy with what I saw for Ferrari. Okay, okay. I'm mm. liking the direction. All right, everything's coming up Ferrari so far, Tom. Mm -hmm. Vroom, vroom. More like putt, putt. I actually was very disappointed <laughs> in this movie. Oh, are you serious? I am. I'm oh, sorry about tell that. Tell me, tell me. I just had... I had trouble caring. It's something that I almost never have trouble doing in movies. I felt like there was so little to connect with. They kept setting up stakes that never really came true. And they'd set up like, watch out for this. Oh no, that didn't actually happen. And what if she, what if she does this? And no, she doesn't. And everyone just sort of like this. And then the whole thing is about a race who you never see the winner win. I just thought it was so bizarre and there was just not enough to hang on to. Um, there's only one, real fleshed out character i thought in it and, oh i have so uh, many questions pete uh, maybe you don't want sure. me to ask the questions now but the first thing that i want to say is that sets up a great debate for oppenheimer and i don't even know if we want to have that debate today <laughs> not on this episode <laughs> no. in, in, in terms of stakes and caring right. and all that stuff because i mean i think I feel like we've talked a little bit about my feelings of oppenheimer about caring mm -hmm. and stakes and yeah. what it means but uh, anyway, I have so many questions with what Tommy said, but Pete, let's hear where you want to go with this first. Well, I, I'll just share my opening thoughts and we can get into the story. I, I, I really enjoyed my time with this movie with a couple of pretty significant quibbles uh, it, that that really stuck in my teeth. And uh, I think my, the first one is might be getting to where you're feeling, Tom, that I feel like the story wasn't convinced of the point that it wanted to get across at the end. And I finally feel like I got the point, but I had to do more work than the movie did to get me there. I had to fill in a lot of holes to understand what the movie was doing. Um, and I, I think that's problematic. It ends up being a little bit confusing and it ends up with a lot of these threads that I, I think the second viewing is actually going to be better because I know where it's going already. Sure. Um, and and so I, I deal with that. The other one is... Uh, my goodness, uh, I I really struggle with one of the performances in this thing that was unbelievable. It was, and I, I say that not just it was shocking how bad the performance was. It was just unbelievable as a performance. Oh, I, I did not believe this person <laughs> knew that they were in a movie, <laughs> let alone trying to do a movie in an Italian accent. So uh, th that's that's where I start. Let's talk just a little bit about the about the movie itself. It's set in the summer of 57. It focuses on 
a problematic character. Uh, we're, we're talking about Enzo Ferrari. He had some real struggles at this period, uh, both in, in at work, in the factory, making cars, and at home. He had some real challenges at home. Ferrari's racing team is preparing for the Miglia Miglia, the endurance race a thousand miles across uh, Italy. And uh, that that it was never outlined for us that this was the year the Mia Amelia ended, I think, is one of the central challenges to the narrative. Sure would have been good to know, especially because Dr. McDreamy, uh, for, what's his name? I Now I've lost his Dempsey. name. Dempsey was the architect of bringing down the Mia Amelia the year that he won it, right? In, in real life. That sounds his, like an interesting movie. It, that sounds like it would have been a very interesting movie. And so I think we may have been focusing that that is, a, a I think, a central challenge. We focused on the wrong protagonist. Oh, um, can we tell that story? I, I mean, I would love to hear that. I agree. I think that would be a great movie. But again, in my, you know, my sort of first thoughts about it, I don't think that's what this movie is about. But anyway, um, yeah. it, how was he the architect of it? it? Maybe that's not for us to talk about today. But you know what? Let's take that as a sidebar a little bit later, because there's more we can get into on the way there. Um, so that is uh, the, the story then is uh, about, uh, you know, this giant race. And uh, by the time we get to the Ferraris and the the racing and the, the race against Maserati, there's some Alphas in there. Like there are some other cars in there, definitely some Mercedes. You don't really talk about that. I don't think they mentioned another brand, uh, another badge in the race. Besides, you see a Mercedes, you see an Alpha. But I don't think they talked about anybody else but the duel between Maserati and Ferrari. And uh, and then we have the 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 business dynamic about how the 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 fact that the place was going under and uh they were going to have to sell a lot more cars like four times more cars and uh in order to actually be solvent um they didn't dive any further than a single phone call on the potential uh bailing out of Ferrari by Fiat and uh and and so it that these are all some of those threads that end up I think getting a little bit confusing the uh home complication we have Lena uh, Lardy, who is uh, the uh, other not wife, uh, played by Shailene Woodley, and for, for Enzo had a, a child with her during the war. And then we, of course, have Penelope Cruz, uh, his uh, wife, Laura, who owns half the company. So Ferrari is a divided individual. And that is the character that we meet, played by Adam Driver. And um, and let let us start with that. How did you feel with Driver's performance of Ferrari? Tom, I think you should start because you're you're the bear. Uh, <laughs> um, I always find uh, Adam Driver very watchable. I thought he was very watchable in this. He was very good at being someone who shows very little. He's pretty reserved a lot of the movie. And at times he breaks open, but usually he's very hiding all of his cards. And that can make for a tough protagonist for me you mm -hmm. would usually i would like someone who's less guarded he seemed even guarded when he was alone so that's just not a terribly interesting person to hang my movie hat on for two hours well that makes sense i think for me it was very believable right so and and 
I know, I know nothing about Ferrari as a person. Um, but my, and the thing that I was kind of touching on Pete, when, uh, when you made the point about, um, the interesting things about the race and all that stuff is that my thought about this book, this movie, and, and what I ended up buying into it is that it was the story of Ferrari. So in terms of Adam Driver's performance, I believed it. What he delivered as Ferrari felt very grounded in what the real man could be. And so I bought in with him on this path and found a lot of those things that you're talking about, Tommy, the things of him holding his cards and the way that he's doing things to be sort of part of his negotiation of the person in his life. I agree that there are uh, that he's faced with a lot of, I would say, challenges, some of them of his own creation, many of them of his own creation in this, and his way of dealing with them seemed stoic to some degree, mm -hmm. in some ways calculating as well. Pete, you mentioned the one call um, to Fiat, but he was planting the seeds for that very early. He knew the direction that he wanted to go. He planted them in a way so that that call could be the way that it was. And so mm -hmm. I bought into the fact that he was somewhat the architect of his salvation as he went through these tragic circumstances, tragic crises throughout the story, including the big climactic tragedy that we see um, as a result of what happens in the race. Um, I thought Adam Driver did a fantastic job of delivering that character performance, and, and I was bought into it. So I believed it. I, I'm with you on that point. I'm a, I'm a fan of Adam Driver, and I like the way, I like the texture of his performances across films. I think he's, I think he's a really interesting actor. I don't think I understood him post-Star Wars until I saw Marriage Story. Yeah. And then I felt like, okay, this guy's got a range that I did not anticipate. So I am always provoked to curiosity when I see an Adam Driver movie. He is deeply invested in the characters that he plays. And that comes across in, in this film, I think, too. It's He's also, it, this is one of those biopics where he's not, like we're focusing on an, a deeply unlikable guy, I think, most of the time, right? He's not nice, really. He's nice to his his son, but most of the affect of Adam Driver's performance is is influenced by Ferrari's the loss of his first son, right? The death of his first son, which is a plague on his life, right? For the most of the movie, that's a constant callback, and the the bifurcation of his family life that he has to maintain two homes because of this secret other um, other partner, the mother of his second child, and I think Driver handles. All of that really well. I'm really interested in how he uh, how he's able to comport himself with all of the different interests in his life, and, and and I think he he does that really well. I like him. The wife and mistress. This might be a controversial point, but I think Penelope Cruz might have stolen the movie for me. Uh, I thought she was really interesting. If a touch one note. I thought I saw a different side of Penelope Cruz in terms of her performance than maybe I've seen her. Oh, I think that's fair. And I think that harkens to the point of the story that you mentioned about the plague on Ferrari's life, which is also a plague on his family, the death of their son together, um, Dino. And then they also talk about the death of his brother, you know, earlier on that had plagued the other aspects of his family as well. And I think... Um, I agree with you about Penelope Cruz. I, for some reason, I didn't feel like it was one note, but that's because I guess I saw a lot of 
uh, a great performance of grief from her mm-hmm. uh, and delivered in a way that was both um, despondent and also aggressively angry at at Ferrari for what he had wrought upon them in, in his own grief, but then also kind of angry at the world in a way in the circumstances that she was dealt with. And I, and I, I like that too. I, I wouldn't say she stole it for me, but I agree. I, I loved her performance in it. And when I said earlier that there was, I felt that there was one really fully fleshed out character, it was Penelope Cruz. Nice. In so it wasn't Shailene Woodley. Okay. All right. <laughs> no, Shailene Woodley, I don't really blame her. It's a thankless role. She's thankless given nothing. Role. No what other woman. What do you not woman, blame her for, Tom? I want to hear. I don't think that there was, she could have done much more with it. She was written, the, the all of the juice as far as female people in this movie went to one person and everyone else is a sketch. Right. And everyone else is just failing a Bechdel test in response to the men around them. Um, yes. And so, yeah. So I just, I mean, what's her name takes, just soaks up all the air in the room whenever she's there. I did get a little bit of one note for a while. I was actually wondering if she, if um, Penelope Cruz's uh, role was thankless, to use that same word at first, because I was like, oh, she's the shrew. Like we're watching this guy try to achieve his dreams and she's over there just throwing things at him. But then once I met everyone else in the movie and by met, I mean, sometimes had a glance at, I was like, oh, like she is the driving force Mm -hmm. of the movie. Even if as she, she does every once in a while set up stakes that are not realized. I know we're not going into the plot thing yet, but it seemed like. Some of this movie seemed a little bit like, woof, that was a close one, Enzo Ferrari. <laughs> like there were so many things, there were so many swords dangling over his head that just sort of went away. I think I think you just described what the story of Ferrari's life was. Yes. Like that's yeah. the, you guys close are talking calls. about that we missed the point of the story. I think that's the point of the story, that there is all this tragedy and drama that surrounded his life from the beginning, from before yeah. the film starts to through this incredibly tragic time that so many times, even the reporters, as they come to him, are saying, how are you going to deal with it? You're a widow maker. You, like, they're constantly swords above his head, Tom, to use yeah. your metaphor. And he made it through. And the brand still exists today because of those close calls and making it out of there. Those stakes were that, that drama was imagined and real. And he got through it, which I think, again, I'm really focused. The reason why I liked this so much is because it was the biopic that I wanted with drama and sure survival. I don't know. I, I'm picking that word carefully right now, but that's I guess that's why I liked it so much. I guess if, if the idea is so many swords over his head and he made it through, I would have liked it to be a little bit more either emotional or from his ingenuity. From seeing him attack problems and solve them versus appear bulletproof and things keep going his way. I like an ultimate That's, a, that's like a Forrest Gumpy. Yeah. yeah, that's like yeah. just sort of like tripping your way through history does not make you an interesting character for me for this movie. And I was really turned on by how focused it was that instead of telling the life of Enzo Ferrari, that it's this one intense moment. But then by the end of it, I was like, I wanted, I did want a wider scope. I always thought that this is what I want from a biopic, and this did not give it to me. I was like, I came in, I felt like I came in late and I left early. (laughs) (laughs) A little bit. I get that. Yeah. For sure. I kept dealing with the struggle, and I think this is part of of what you guys are talking about. The struggle of, um, of, of seeing 
the big action feel like it was in the periphery of <laughs> this guy's life. Like, you, you know, like we're focused on Enzo Ferrari. In the meantime, massive cultural change is happening right off screen. And that all, man just didn't quite want to turn the camera there. I think it feels, uh, I mean, Tommy brought up Forrest Gump. I think there yeah. is a Gump aspect to it for sure in that respect. Yeah, it's Gumpian. <laughs> Gumpian. Um, the, uh, the racers, we, it, this is, you know, I bring up the racers, but I, I bring up the racers kind of uh, as peripherally as so many of the other things that happen in this movie. It is not, if you're, if you have yet to see it, a strictly speaking, a racing movie. Mm -hmm. There are cars present uh, and they get driven in and out of garages from time to time. <laughs> a lot. A lot of garage garage driving. Really? And man, these guys into and out of into garages. the garage. <laughs> yes. Right. Uh, and and then we we get uh, a couple of time trials. We lose you know we lose our first driver uh, you know very early on uh, in in the first uh, time trial, and then we we really move into the last big race, the Mia Amelia, uh, and so uh, the drivers the the Scuderia or the the uh, the stable of drivers uh, is we don't spend a lot of time with them individually. We don't get a lot of time to kind of understand who they are. Fon de Portago is the main driver that we meet early on. He tries to introduce himself to Ferrari on the street. His real name, his full name, was Alfonso Cabeza de Vaca y Leighton Marquis de Portago. I love it. <laughs> he, he, and he actually, uh, uh, this is a, I love this passage uh, about him. That was a fitting handle for a maximalist bon vivant. He was the prototype for a man we picture in our heads when we imagine an international playboy race car driver, the one with a rakish smile who craves adventure and gorgeous women. He raced cars, horses, and bobsleds competing for Spain in the Winter Olympics. And this nod, when you have that intersection discussion where he's standing over behind a thing and, and there's the king and the Ferraris between the two and Ferrari says, your highness, it is absolutely on brand for Fon de, de Portago to say which, to say yes, like which one, right? Because he considered himself royalty, he he was. I mean, he was he was effectively Spanish royalty uh, mm. at the time too. So that is that is a little bit of of sort of real person backstory to to one driver. Uh, what did you think in terms of presenting the team of drivers? Did it come off to you as a team sport? Yeah, uh, team sport is interesting. I don't know that I would call it a team sport, but the group of them, I I very much enjoyed the group of them and the different personality traits that were assigned to them. And I'm saying assigned because I want to give you guys the sort of, I want to concede the point that we didn't get enough of them, right? So that's why I'm mm -hmm. saying that. But the, the reason why I'm kind of pulling back from the concept of the team sport is because I really liked how Ferrari manipulated the team in an effort to win at all costs. And you see that so much at the mid-stop when he goes and he talks to each of them and this is how you win. And it's different for each of them. They each have their own motivations. And Ferrari was in control. Mm -hmm. I loved that. I also loved the scenes at the table 
the first scene at the table, not when he was chastising them for poor performance, but the one where he was actually bonding with them as a group that was involved in the sport together. And he talked about the fact that we are all drivers, we are all racers. That was a com common theme throughout the movie, too, is that we are here to win. Ferrari is here to win. And I, mm -hmm. I like that. I bought into that, too. So I liked that group dynamic thing even though it didn't really feel like a team sport to me it felt like they were very cutthroat i wanted more of it yeah i mean it made me hungry for something that it, the movie was dead set against giving me more time with them more time with how do they all interact do they interact do they practice with each other all we see is them driving angrily into garages i don't know who <laughs> is who to anybody and so that's that to jj's point the movie come came alive in places like that, because it was a bunch of people. It was confidently filmed. They were all talking at once. The sound design is outstanding. Mm -hmm. It really feels like a bunch of people at a table when other times in this movie, scenes felt like scenes. You're walking in. This could be a play. This could just be a moment in this one room, which didn't feel alive, didn't feel electric. It's like the movie had somehow only a certain amount of energy that it was allowed to have. And it poured it all into one character and three scenes. Yeah. <laughs> and then everything else they just sort of had to also film. That's a very harsh way to say it. But no, I'm agreeing with JJ. But that is the, it's not the absence that makes the heart grow fonder. It makes me wish that was more of the movie. I think you you said it really well. It it we were hungering for things the movie was dead set against giving us. And mm -hmm. and that might be a cultural challenge, right? That might be a challenge for uh those of us who have been spending a lot of time watching Drive to Survive and really getting into the current cultural gestalt about, you know, F1 and racing and and what this sort of weird team sport is. Uh but it it I can't I can't quite ditch the fact that this is a fascinating story of a fascinating specific year, specific event with a texture, like a, a whole tableau of really interesting characters. And I'm not sure Enzo Ferrari was one of them. <laughs> well, okay, so what, what this is really reminding me of is our conversation about Killers of the Flower Moon as well. And that, mm -hmm. you know, we had different feelings about it. Each of us were yes. kind of juxtaposed in this one. But but the idea of it, it, a, a historical time, I don't want to say an event, but a historical time, and then choosing who the narrative is rotating around to tell the story of that time or that event is is a very interesting thing as a filmmaker, as a storyteller. And uh, sort of my, I think, acceptance or my appreciation of the film is really that I... I gave in or I allowed the film to be Ferrari's film when really yes. there are many other stories that could be told here. And there are many other stories of value that could have mm -hmm. been told here too. And that's how I felt about Killers of the Flower Moon too. I just wasn't happy with the choice that Killers right. of the Flower Moon was. And I was happy with this choice because, uh, because I bought in. I, I was with yeah. them and in, in hearing about Ferrari's place in history at this time during this event. Talking about when you're saying about the peripheral things, when you're talking about who it should be based on, I get the feeling now one of the things that I'm having trouble with is, is, is it's as if Michael Mann thinks I read that book ah. and now want to see it come to life because then the first 
th- five times someone says mealy mealy. I'm like, what are you, what are we doing? I don't know anything about this sport, these people, this team, where Ferrari is in the pecking order of this. What other cars? I don't know anything. And it yeah. refuses to hold me by the hand when instead it really makes sure that I know that they had a lot of fun with his kid before he died. Yeah, that is made extremely clear. Uh, they're like, like they slow down for things that I think are a snapshot and speed over things that I need to create the world. The fact that you've already said that this ended the me, me, I don't like care for that name forever because of what happened. That's isn't, fascinating. Isn't yes. that the name of Thor's hammer? <laughs> me, me, me. <laughs> um, I realize it would be pedantic to correct yeah. you that you already know the answer and I'm going to walk away from that. I will yeah. pick up your bait. This is this. So let's talk just a little bit about what was going on at the time, because this is uh, uh, true. Uh, uh, Piero Taruffi was Patrick Dempsey. And when he finished the Melia uh, after winning, he wrote an article for the Saturday Evening Post, an editorial titled Stop Us Before We Kill Again. Wow. And he he said this, this the open road races like the Melia need to be put to death. He went on and said that the uh, I tried to look as a victor should look, but in my heart there was only despair, for I realized that the Miyamilia had become too dangerous and I must be one of its pallbearers. Ooh. 1957 was the 24th and final edition of the race, and it now, it, it still goes on, but it is now a parade of exotic cars, right? Uh, like historic oh. cars, it's not a race. Oh, that's fun. Um, Interesting. So... If you go back to what was happening right before that, this was 1957. In 1955, a better known international road race, the Le Mans, uh, uh, actually had an even more horrific accident. Two years prior. Uh, Two years prior. A racer uh, had to take an emergency pit stop, pulled into pit, and uh, a Frenchman, Pierre Levey's Mercedes-Benz, uh, sailed into the air, exploded, hurtled into a low barrier where it rolled into a grandstand on fire ah! and killed 82 spectators, what? leaving 120 injured. Oh, um, oh. Killing, naturally killing LeVay, as, as yeah. you probably expected. This was the most catastrophic crash in all of motorsport history. And after that, Mercedes just said, you know what, we're not even going to race anymore until 1989. They finally came back into racing, which is actually a thing, because I swear there was a Mercedes in this race, which shouldn't have been. Or multiple shots Um, of at least one. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, And Switzerland banned motor racing for good until this year. 2023. So, like, yeah. Yeah. So... This is uh, this was a crazy time in motorsports right now because it was the most dangerous sport, right? Really? The risk reward was just the gap was so high, so that big. Would have been thrilling to know because that would have put more stakes for me. I just didn't know yes. what to expect. I didn't know what I was supposed to expect. And then like the biggest thing and the most important thing was to win the race. It wasn't about because I didn't know that this tragedy was coming. And he did win the race off camera. Yes. 
We didn't even see him we win the race. We find out until we find out later yeah. that Patrick Dempsey okay. won. Okay, let me uh, like Gross. yes, you guys are right, but that's because <laughs> it doesn't matter. The point is the race doesn't matter. You guys are buying into that thing that you've said, which again I don't want to take away from about them glossing over these points that you wanted to see more of and spending too much time with the things that you didn't. But how this can is the race about, not matter? That, that was the whole point. The whole movie was about he has to win this race in order to keep his company. No, ah, you're so it's so poetic like literally what you're saying is yes that is what he focused on and the reality was it wasn't what mattered that ferrari's life that these moments that this time with his family him negotiating with his wife and living and, and making these decisions are what truly mattered that stuff happens off screen because that's what history remembers but in for again and I, I am being an apologist for this movie because i bought <laughs> sure. into it so i mm -hmm. i don't even know how much i agree with these points but the point that i want to make is the reason that i liked it is because it told me that ferrari's life wasn't about the winning and it wasn't about those things that that the news and history will tell you that it was about all these other things all these tragedies and things that he lived through so that he could continue his broken family which it was i don't want to say mm -hmm. it was a success but he made it through despite the death and the winning and all those other things that people will tell you about Ferrari. And I think, you know, it, it's weird, but like you put it there and you compare it to like Ford v. Ferrari, which I think was also a fantastic movie. But Ferrari in Ford v. Ferrari is, and I don't mean Ferrari the person, I mean Ferrari the entity, the, the brand, brand yeah. is, 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 off, is somewhat off screen. It's just this cutthroat to win all these things. And they give you that yes. in this movie. They show you how he does that. But again, it's not the point of the movie. And that's, I, I appreciated that. So I, and I can understand why maybe you wanted to see more of those things. And yes, they are interesting. And yes, movies should be made at th about that. But that's not what this movie is about for me. This movie is about Enzo and how Enzo lived through all this, despite them mm -hmm. being these big crises. And, and I think, JJ, I think that is a thing that I appreciated about the movie. The fact that, it, you know, if we buy into that side of this argument, this is uh, the sort of the end of a titan. This right. is the, the fall of a titan. When he sits down with those guys and says, if you don't, nobody's forcing you to get in one of my cars. But if you do get in my car, you have to know that death is on the line. Right. Right. And he doesn't say that like out loud, but, um, you know, he says it as much. <laughs> just know make sure the other guy makes a mistake or don't come back kind of a thing right yeah. do do what you need to do and that is a really that that was i i think a, a controversial perspective to have in 1957 when you're preparing for this race two years after le mans and that i think is the is the challenge of the movie and i'm not arguing i don't think that the that i want a completely different movie i think i'm taking the line that i want I want more stakes, as Tom said, by giving me more of the cultural, the racing cultural background just as a setup. Instead, we got old footage of Adam Driver in the like in, in the old timey footage, which I, I thought was silly. Like and and as a result, that opportunity cost was I didn't understand the movie doesn't help me understand the stakes that we're working under here, that in fact, Enzo sitting down and having that conversation is saying, I expect you to die just like those idiots in Le Mans because they took it too hard too. And that is an antiquated perspective. And the movie should have been more powerfully suggestive of that because having separate families and 
taking kids' names and all of these things are further representations of old mentality to new mentality. Shailene Woodley says as much. She says, God, I should be a modern woman for you. Boy, that would throw you for a loop, right? Like, that's part of the story. And I just don't feel like the movie set up the stakes well enough for me to to walk away having felt as strongly as you do about it. That makes sense. That's why, yeah, I like what you said about the uh, second viewing. I would like to watch this movie again. Yes. uh, Just because now that I know what its compartment is. I want to meet it on its terms and start to dig deeper into that instead of waiting for the next thing that I was assuming it was going to show me, which it didn't. Ferrari. Like you close your eyes, you think of a car. What color is it? Red. Red. Right. That's, that's Enzo's, that's his whole thing, right? Like he, he, I I think felt, you know, and he said as much like ask a, ask a child to draw a car, he said, and certainly he will draw it red. And, that has been, uh, you know, largely his legacy. Like Ferrari is a mm. is an icon. He managed to be an icon. Do you walk away from this movie having your impression of the icon uh, impacted at all? I, I I definitely separate them in my mind only because I, for in this sort of really weird way, I think that the way that I was brought up with brands as a child of of the eighties was was divorced from people like i even don't even think of ford as a i mean and these are people in the story right ford uh, fiat Fiat. to some degree like these things i don't think of them as people so i have this concept of what ferrari was as a brand and nothing about the telling of ferrari as a man changed it for me that being said the concept of the financial trouble and the struggles for the factory and everything that happened there and Ferrari needing Fiat to some degree to grow and all these things, that definitely affects the way that I feel about Ferrari, the brand, and learning more about what it had to struggle through to get to where, again, placed in my mind as a as someone who maybe saw, I don't even know if it was a Ferrari, but in License to Drive, you remember that movie, License to Drive with... <laughs> Corey Feldman and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like there's big red car there. I'm like, I think it's a Ferrari. Like it, it's just this I, mythical thing in my mind as a young person. And now I'm, yeah. I, the way the movie has affected me or has changed me is to realize that it had struggles and it isn't a myth. It's not a legend. Yeah. It's, hmm. it's something that's happened over time. It was fragile. Yeah. Right. For a it long time. It was a fragile brand. And this is, you know, by the time, I'm I'm with you. I'm I'm a Ferrari of the '80s guy. So my Ferrari is Magnum's Ferrari. Nice three the 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 Magnums like the 308, the 328. Like those were my Ferrari. And I remember when we got the Testarossa. That was like late in the '80s, and I was like, oh my god, that is this is a this is a brand that I am going to be excited about for the rest of my life. They just look so they're incredible. They're incredible cars, and um and so I. Uh, uh, like to watch this, it is a little bit like, like knocking your, uh, knocking your icon off a pedestal mm. just a bit to remind you of the humanity that was that underpins all of the mechanics, right? All of the hammering of the iron and creating the power that thrusts the engine across the country, right? I thought that was, I thought that was particularly amazing. Uh, we should talk about Eric uh, Messerschmidt. Yes. Uh, dear new friend of the show, yes. Eric Messerschmidt. What did you think of how it was shot? Well, I loved it. And so I, um, 
I have lots of opinions about it. After we talked to Eric, we saw the killer. Um, and now we're seeing this too. And in all of it, like, I kind of wish we had seen the movies first because I have so many specific questions. Um, in particular, oh, and he, he's the DP right. for all of these yes. movies. We just yes. want to reset the table. Go ahead. Thank you. And, um, there were so many different motion control things in this movie and it was varied. It wasn't, it was used differently at different times with different methods, which I, I mean, I'm gobbling it up as a camera, as a cameraman trying to figure out how, why the choices were made the way they were. Some of it was very shaky. It did not look gyroscopically stabilized, which was really surprising to me. I want to know why um, the aerials were shot in a way that wasn't stabilized. And was it, mm -hmm. what, what was the purpose of that? Some of it was really stabilized and could have been potentially drone footage. A lot of the camera shots when we're watching the racing or the cars moving were very low. And it was this really sort of, and it, and it felt very exciting to me as to see the cars coming to us at a very low way. Um, I loved all that. And I would love to ask him all the questions about that, about those choices. One other thing that I noticed from the camera perspective, um, I listened to Adam Driver recently was on an episode of the Smartless podcast yes. talking about this movie. And he mentioned some of Michael Mann's specific things that he does. And because of that, I was very hyper aware of some of those shots, particularly in uh, the, um, the mortuary scene or the funeral, the cemetery scene early on, where we get Adam Driver over his right shoulder, looking at the grave of Dino and stuff like this. And I'm like, oh, this is classic Michael Mann. And it, yeah. it was the kind of thing of him talking about how Michael Mann really focuses on the eyes and the way that the pupils look in each shot and all this stuff. And I was very hyper aware of all that stuff. And I would, mm. I love, I love the way that Eric delivered Michael Mann's vision. And I thought uh, I was very happy with the camera all the way through. I do want to ask the questions about the shaky aerial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Let's racing footage in particular was stunning. Yeah. It was really, it felt, it actually felt dangerous. Yeah, which is which is exactly yeah. what you want to feel in those ridiculous toy cars that they're driving around while smoking. <laughs> that was the craziest <laughs> stuff. <laughs> like Patrick the Dempsey, the first thing he says is like, "There's car. no ashtray." And he's like, "Oh my god!" Um, yeah, like I thought all of that was really really exciting. Um, did he say something about? I don't know if I blinked when the first driver. Again, in like economic of storytelling, he's like, I don't need a new driver. Whoops. Okay. You're hired. Um, when that first guy in the time trial dies, it looked like he hit a very small speed bump. And then in the oh. next shot, he was like 40 feet up in the air. Did no. I miss something? What he did. So maybe he was unable to downshift in gears right. as he was going into a tight turn. So as he came around the corner, he was moving too fast. So the vehicle then rolled and lifted off the ground it, it, that's what i think I, I missed the roll it just seemed, seemed like all of a sudden everything was up in the yeah. air so i think i looked away or sneezed or something right at that moment okay <laughs> that looked Can a little we, funny to me the the shot in general right this was the, going into this movie this was the the accident that i was waiting for because it was the, you knew was it was coming clip of it well yeah oh the time there was a, the we're talking about the time trial or the no? Or we're the talking about the final in the race, the big oh, one in okay. the race. Oh, you're talking about the initial time trial. Correct. He, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Yes, I didn't know that was coming. No, I that was new. Um, no, I was talking about the last shot, and 
I, I will say before we get to that last shot, I, this movie felt to me like a Michael Mann film. I, it had the tone and texture of a Michael Mann film. Yes. I felt like I could have just as easily been watching Heat. I like it. I like the tone of it. I like the use of close-ups when they're in car um, and the way they shoot. They were shooting like close ups of eyes, half faces, masks looking in the mirrors like I thought that was incredibly compelling, super mm-hmm. energetic and yeah, um, claustrophobic. Right. Like yeah. it's um, the, these guys are in open top cars and there's no roll mechanics. There's nothing. And they are just it still felt compressed and small mm-hmm. to me. And I thought that was that was a really interesting thing to do. Uh, the the uh, the shot that I had trouble with going into the movie was the shot that they'd used in the trailer, and it was the only shot in this movie that jumped out as um, as unfinished CG. It felt like uh, it felt like storyboard uh, CG, like composite to me, and that was that was the biggest um, you know that that is the principal accident of the movie did it hit you guys sideways when the car was actually running rolling over the crowd no uh, only because so the reason why i reacted so strongly when you said you were expecting it is uh, it's potential that i didn't see the trailer or that trailer so i didn't know it was coming and i knew nothing about the accident so me either when it happened i was very uh, i wasn't objective enough in what i was looking at in that I, I could t- they set up very well. The drama of something bad was about to happen. I, I understood that leading up to it. But then the way that it happened in puncturing the tire and then launching and then into the crowd. And then, mm-hmm. I mean, it was all so emotionally intense for me, which a yeah. lot of times car accidents in films are for me. Um, but especially because I didn't know it was coming and I, you know, and setting it up with fonts like, having this moment of this sort of city of angels moment of everything's great. And then boom, like I was on the ride for it. So I didn't notice those CG type things. It was very intense and it was very effective in communicating the emotion to me. But uh, I think probably your objectivity allowed you to be a little bit more um, aware of what you were seeing. Yeah, it was. I think that was probably the frustration that we had talked to Eric about it. And he said of that trailer, he was like, it, you know, I wish they hadn't used that particular clip in the trailer. I don't think it belongs in the trailer. Just, That's... Yeah, it was it was too much. Um, uh, but of the can you see yourselves as Ferrari drivers? No, <laughs> I'm a real Mazda boy. <laughs> Absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, the the most expensive of the Ferraris in this movie, and this is one of the things that we got out of the conversation that we had with with Eric, was that they did not they did not drive the actual Ferraris. They brought the Ferraris in, turned like ignited them, recorded sound, uh, got some close ups, but they were not allowed to touch the the Ferraris uh, because they are they couldn't insure them mm. uh, for any anyone not the Ferrari organization uh, to do it. But the the most expensive one used in the movie was the Ferrari three thirty five Sport Scaglietti, and that came in at $35.7 million. The, oh, my God. The The most expensive Ferrari ever sold is the, um, I, I believe it's the GTO, 250 GTO. And, you know, once you get up into these kinds of numbers, it's, it's auction kind of stuff. And so it, it fluctuates. But in 2018, uh, a Ferrari 250 GTO in silver blue became the most expensive vehicle ever sold. I can't even, I just sort of chokes me to say the numbers for a car. Only has two seats. $70.2 million. Wow. 
Well, and I would like to say, I mean, you asked me if I felt like a Ferrari driver. I don't know that I'd ever feel like I could drive an actual Ferrari, but I do drive really angrily into my garage. So does that make me? <laughs> oh, interesting. I might yeah. be that. You're a Ferrari driver. There you go. Yeah. You just, they haven't given you a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think they are, are gloriously beautiful cars. And yeah. I I am a, I'll tell you where I am. This is, this shows you the kind of car trash I am. I may, like, if you were to give me a Ferrari looking like kit car, I'm all about it. I'll drive a fake Ferrari all day long. <laughs> you put a, put a, a bug engine in it and I'll drive it around all day long. I think Love they it. are some of the be most beautiful cars uh, that have ever been made. And, and uh, this era of Ferraris is, is extraordinary. Uh, so that is, that's the, that's the story of, of this thing i one of the th reasons and maybe this is now that i'm saying it out loud maybe it's the reason that i didn't see it coming they seem to make a really big deal about when you go to the stop because there's like little stops you have to hand them this little piece of paper yes and then they showed they're like you'll be disqualified if you don't and then they showed everyone doing it and then they show the guy who does not make it past the accident clearly not hand it to him he gets out and he looks under and then he kisses his wife and he leaves was he going to be disqualified anyway i was like why isn't this coming oh and then he's he's rolling over people uh -huh. was that what do you know any of the history of why was like it just seemed like something that didn't pay off unless it was supposed to be a watch this hand not this hand kind of a thing because i was assuming oh what a tragedy this new wonderkind is going to be disqualified and instead he was disqualified from life so I don't, my guess, and I don't know the answer to this, but uh, my guess is that it isn't relevant to the story in particular, but in hearing Adam Driver talk about Michael Mann, that Mann is, has a sort of near obsession about being as historically accurate as possible. Um, like going to the actual like barbershop where, where okay. Ferrari visited and that kind of stuff. And I would assume that the card passing was such a relevant important thing about this kind of race that it was key that it be mentioned there to man but i don't see it as necessarily relevant to the story in that way disqualified I, yeah the, that sequence i'm glad you brought that sequence up because it it's really important for a number of reasons the first that it gives the chance for the driver to get out and say you know to portago gets out and he says look these tires we i know the tires suck but i can make it like I'm I'm behind a slower car and I have to make up that time and I'm in a car powerful enough to do it. And as a result, I, my headcanon filled in the blank that said, you know, maybe his maybe his sidecar guy, his navigator actually handed the card over. You know, what whatever reason, I just kind of let that go, because the more important piece that was captured there is when he gets back in the car and his girlfriend leans in to kiss him. That was a uh, that was actually captured by an uh, as today an unnamed uncredited photographer, but it is known as the last kiss or the kiss of death. That Oof. photo of actress Linda Christian leaning in to kiss De Portago during his stop in in northern Italy. He was killed literally moments later. Right a after that, it was the last kiss, and she said of that moment. I had a strange sensation with that kiss. It was cold, and it caused me to look for the first time at Nelson seated behind him. He seemed to be like a mummy, gray, ashen, as if mesmerized. He had the eyes of someone who had suffered an enormous shock. Mm. 
That image sits in the Bettman archive stored in the Iron Mountain National Underground Storage Facility, a former limestone quarry, quarry located 220 feet below ground in western Pennsylvania. Thank you, Wikipedia. It is a haunting Are we worried kiss. it might get out? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Why well, are we wargaming that? <laughs> right. It is a haunting photograph, uh, and especially after this movie, to look at this and realize, oh, this was, this was it. This was before he did some, something out of his control and extraordinary um, and and lost his life. So um, I, I think that's an interesting bit of an aside. Has nothing to do with the card. I think that was the point. Right? The card is, we already got the card. We understand the card. I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> uh, oh, uh, music. Uh, the music was, um, music was lovely. Music was by, uh, oh, what's this? Uh, where is it? Oh, Daniel Pemberton. How do we feel about Dan Pemberton stuff? Oh, Pemberton. I liked it in the film. Too. Yeah, me too. But it was very appropriate. I thought it was very appropriate. It was culturally resonant. It drove when the driving happened. Uh, and uh, yeah, I thought it was really, really good. Okay, well, we've got we've got just a little bit of housekeeping. We're going to do our, uh, we're, we're going to do, now is the time. I mean, we have uh, to lean in. Find those stars, take them away, rip them from other films that are less deserving and see how they land up for us. Letterboxd, Letterboxd, we are on Letterboxd, letterboxd.com slash the next reel. And I know uh, you guys aren't cataloging your stars maybe as uh, authentically, accurately as others do diligently, but I I do have to know where are you going to put your stars for this film? And if you had to take stars from another movie, where would you take them from? A whole new vector. What? Yeah. What is this new thing that we're doing? Yeah, I'm making taking... it up. Oh, okay. I... <laughs> like, I'm not prepared. I have, this, yeah. I have this thing in my head that what if there was a finite number of stars, of stars for your life? Like, there are a finite number of, of weeks, mm-hmm. heartbeats, whatever. What if you had, what if you started running out of stars? Where would you take your stars from for this movie? <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> Well, I, I think, don't know how to answer it. I think I, I mentioned dumb. before that I uh, uh, compared this movie a lot to Oppenheimer, oh, Oppenheimer. in my mind. Yep. And mm-hmm. I would, I think that on its own, this movie probably is sitting at a nice two stars for me. And then I take two from Oppenheimer. <laughs> from Oppenheimer. <laughs> One for length. And the other for stakes. Y'all keep talking about stakes. And the focus of Oppenheimer, this is my, my primary uh, criticism of Oppenheimer. The stakes of Oppenheimer, the base main through story is him losing his security clearance, which I think is the most ridiculous thing. <laughs> his legacy. No. That's how he's going to be do- drilled oh, down into history. Yes, that's yes. the high thing. But this is the all... same movie. It might as well be called Ferrarenheimer. <laughs> it's all based on this event of him literally defending his security clearance. Like, who cares? Like, that's, <laughs> like find some other way to tell the story. So I'm taking that from this because we have this life and death last time this race ever happened people died all because of the drama of what ferrari needs to give by so i end up giving it four stars and a heart um i liked it quite all a right bit. tom i imagine you're gonna take your stars from jj's review of <laughs> that's this what movie. i was about to do i was about to move the slider around <laughs> but you beat me to it um yeah i don't know what i'm taking it from i'm taking them from the actual sky and i'm going to give this a I'm going back and forth between a 2.5 and a 3. I'm actually going to give it a 3 because it's an extremely competent movie. 
and it's got some thrilling scenes, and it looks great. And I thought when they were allowed to, it was well acted. Uh, it just wasn't the story that I was looking for, and and maybe I'll feel better about it on a new rewatch. So I'm going to give it a three out of five. Okay, I uh, I'm going to land with. JJ at a four, and that I think may be a four of hope because I had some non-trivial quibbles uh, and some performance issues that I felt like took me out of the movie every time we went back to the house. I just was out of the movie, and uh, and so that's that's hard. But uh, it it is very close to being just a perfect movie for me, right? I mean, it it's really very close, and I think so much of JJ pushing back on. Our quibbles in general have just reinforced mm-hmm. why I do appreciate this movie as much as I do. Like, I think it is a really good movie. It's not the movie I expected, and I low-key can't wait to watch it again. Nice. Mm. So, uh, that, really fun. Uh, really fun, you guys. So, this this was great. What are we doing next month? This will be for the month of February. JJ? We are going to take a step into the twisted mind of Matthew Vaughn. <laughs> Is that right? Did I say that right? Yeah. Is it twisted? That's I don't, twisted. So twisted. I don't find his mind to be twisted. I just like his movies. So we That's are, what the trailer says. We used yeah. to say from the twisted mind of Danny DeVito. There's been a few like <laughs> twisted mind directors and Matthew has the helm right now. Which I is guess. Very exciting. I, I understand that there are some graphic and, and shocking things in some of the movies that he makes, but I just like them. I think they're a lot of fun. So we're going to go see Argyle, which comes out first week of February. We'll probably talk about it a little bit later than that, but we are planning to see it and learn about it and see if it is exciting and twisted as they <laughs> tell us it might be. So twisted. Is it as twisted? Are you looking forward to twist, Tom? Is that your favorite? Are you, are you a Matthew? Are you a Vaughn head? I do. I am. What? Oh, I good. do. I am. I do. I am. <laughs> good. Thank you, everybody, for hanging out and uh, just jumping around the the, uh, the track with us uh, here. Uh, we're talking about Ferrari. Great movie. Go see it. I think that we can say. Go see it. Uh, because it's, judging by the number of people who were in the theater with me today, it's not going to be around here for very long. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you get a chance, run out and see it. It is it is good on a big screen. Uh, it is shot really, really well, and it's beautiful. So um, for that uh, reason alone, check it out. Thanks for hanging out with us. On behalf of Tommy Metz III and Justin Yeager, I'm Pete Wright. We'll see you next month with Argyle meeting adjourned. Here on the film board, we have covered quite a variety of great page-to-screen adaptations over the years, from superheroes like Christopher Nolan's The Dark Knight Rises, based on stories like Nightfall and The Dark Knight Returns, to horror and sci-fi like Max Brooks's World War Z and Hiroshi Sakazuraka's All You Need Is Kill, which became one of our favorites, Edge of Tomorrow, with Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt. And who could forget Andy Weir's stranded astronaut adventure, The Martian, or Dave Eggers' tech thriller, The Circle? Supposedly so much better than the movie. We've also explored Stephen King epics like The Dark Tower and It, biopics like Damien Chazelle's First Man, and sweeping sagas like Denis Villeneuve's take on Frank Herbert's Dune. And don't forget Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, based on David Grand's nonfiction book about the 1920s murders of the Osage Nation. I just finished the book, and it's fantastic. It's always fascinating to look at the source material, and we often do as the book lovers we are. For those of you out there who love to do the same, head to thenextreel.com slash originals to find all of our past episodes and dive deeper into these adapted stories. 
And it's not just stories. We've included things like the video games Uncharted and Detective Pikachu. That's right. TheNextReel.com slash Originals is your one-stop shop for in-depth looks at the sources for cinematic adaptations that we have discussed. Every purchase you make supports the film board and The Next Reel's family of shows. So what are you waiting for? Head to TheNextReel.com slash Originals and get your next read today. (laughs) 